Our Father, we, we thank you for the visions you showed Zechariah to help us better understand what we are like, what you are like, and what you have therefore done and one day will do. Uh, we now ask you to help us to not only understand the rest of the book of Zechariah, but to obediently live out what you're saying to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Our friends, we have now done all eight visions and we've decided to keep going on working through the book of Zechariah. Uh, there is much we can learn today from this neglected by many uh, book of the Old Testament. Although we live on uh, this side of the cross, uh, we need to know what life was like on that side of the cross uh, to not, know, not only know what God is really like, but to understand why there even was <laughs> a cross. Now, Zechariah has 14 chapters, and God willing, we will end up looking at them all, uh, but we might have some breaks for Christmas and the New Year. And today we're looking at the last seven verses in chapter 6. Yes, Zechariah 6, 9 to 15. Uh, we've already been told twice now, uh, 1, 7 and 4, 8, that it is the word of the Lord that was given to Zechariah. And here we are told it again in verse 9. Quote, and it is obviously Zechariah himself writing this, the word of the Lord came to me. Yes, that is what happened to him again. So you'd better pay close attention. The difference this time is that previously uh, in all eight visions, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah in visions. So they're things he was shown and need to understand. Now it is no longer a vision as such, but a direct word as to what Zechariah needs to do himself and what God's people will need to do themselves. Yes, previously it was all C, 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 actually eight Cs, and now it is do, do, do. You need to now do something. It's a bit like when I went to Bible college. Or when you studied something, uh, researched something, it might be good. Well, I find it quite enjoyable to research something. But when it comes to actually doing it, <laughs> that is acting on what you have studied or acting on what you have researched, sit for the actual exam, <laughs> it's a different thing altogether. Well, what is it that Zechariah needs to now do? Uh, I'll read verses 10 to 11 of Zechariah 6. You might wish to look at it yourself using your device, your phone or your paper. Uh, take silver, verse 10, and gold from the exiles Heldai, Tobijah and Jediah, who have arrived from Babylon. Go the same day to the house of Josiah, son of Zephaniah. Take the silver and gold and make a crown and set it on the head of the high priest, Joshua, son of Josedach. I love all these strange names. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's a teacher's comment. <laughs> so what has Zechariah been told by the Lord to do? He's basically been told to make a crown 
and the crown as such takes centre stage in the verses to come. Now these actual verses remind me as to what I love about the Holy Scriptures and perhaps they also remind you of what you love about the word of the Lord too. The first thing as revealed here that I love about the Holy Scriptures is their very specific detail. Yes, I, I love the specific details in the Holy Scriptures. The Lord doesn't just say to Zechariah, go and make a crown. No, he basically says that, but he provides all the very specific details, details of which help me or help us to have a great confidence in the trustworthiness of the Holy Scriptures as they are full of specific details and many of them historical details too. The Lord says to Zechariah that he needs to specifically get what? Silver and gold. And he also tells Zechariah to get such from <laughs> those names that Winita loves, Heldai, Tobijah and Jediah, who have arrived from Babylon. And he doesn't just then stop with the details and says, now go make a crown. No, did you notice what the Lord then says to Zechariah? It's at the end of verse 10. He says, on that very day, the same day, that you get this silver and gold from these three dudes, go to Josiah, son of Zephaniah. It seems that he must be a smelter or craftsman and will make the crown for Zechariah from this silver and gold. And the details don't even stop there. The Lord then says to in verse 11 to then go to Joshua, the high priest, son of Josedach, <laughs> and put the now-made crown on his head. Yes, I love the specific details we are regularly given in the Holy Scriptures. And not long after I became a Christian, I started noticing more and more so the very specific details of so many things in the Holy Scriptures. I can still remember reading Genesis about the flood and about Noah, and how we're given very specific details of the construction of the ark, let alone when the great flood occurred and for how long the rain and springs would keep bursting forth. For example, Noah was told when the flood would actually come. He was also told how long it would last for. For example, uh, we are told the exact day when it would start raining. When was it? We're told this in Genesis 7.11. It started raining in the 600th year of Noah's life on the 17th day of the second month. <laughs> Can't get much more specific than that, can you? For example, we're also told how great the flood ended up being. It covered all the high mountains under the entire heavens to a depth of more than 15 cubits, or about 7 metres. Genesis 7.20. Yes, I love all the specific details that are given, specific details that help grow our confidence in the trustworthiness and therefore authority of the Holy Scriptures. 
but also specific details to correct those who simply try to discard the Holy Bible as a complete myth. No, I once tried that. <laughs> Friends, uh, may our Lord reveal to us the very specific details he has provided when we read his word this week. The second thing I love is this. I love the uh, seeming contradictions in the Holy Scriptures. Yes, seeming contradictions. Now, please look at verses 12 to 13 and I'll show you what I mean. It certainly contains a seeming contradiction and plural ones at that. Uh, Tell him this is what the Lord Almighty says. I'm reading verse 12. Uh, Here is the man whose name is the branch and he will branch out from this place and build the temple of the Lord. It is he who will build the temple of the Lord and he will be clothed with majesty and will sit and rule on his throne. And he will be a priest on his throne and there will be harmony between the two. Now, although at first we might tend to think, what on earth is going on here? (laughs) I did. We need to remind ourselves of what we've just been told, as Dan alluded to, and guess what? What we've just been told in one of the prior visions seems to be a complete contradiction to this. We've just been told in Zechariah chapter 4 that a guy called Zerubbabel will rebuild the damaged temple. But here we're told that the priest will. That is the high priest, that is Joshua, that is the branch himself. If anything, there seems to be two contradictions here. Firstly, calling the high priest Joshua the branch, as the branch was definitely someone else in chapter 3, not this high priest. And secondly, like I said, saying that Joshua, not Zerubbabel, will build the temple. Yes, please don't get confused with all these names. But there are, well, there seems to be contradictions here. And saying this, I love such contradictions because they only seem to be contradictory. If anything, like the rest of the Holy Scriptures, one not only discovers apparent contradictions, but in doing so realises they are not contradictory at all. And these seeming contradictions have the added benefit of putting us in our places. Well, they do for me. (laughs) as God's plans are much bigger than our minds can possibly comprehend. It's no wonder that the Lord himself says in Isaiah 55, 8-9, and some of you know these, very, uh, these verses very well. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts, than your thoughts. End of quote. And so how are the verses in Zechariah 6 not a contradiction to what has been revealed previously? And how might it reveal to us something much bigger than our feeble minds can at first comprehend? Well, it seems that this crown eventually gets taken off of Joshua's head in the very next verse. It must therefore be symbolic 
of something to come. That's why the Lord himself can say to Zechariah that there is harmony here. There is a servant coming called the branch who will be both king and priest. That is the king of kings and the high priest of all high priests. The one the Lord sends will be both. He'll be crowned as both, hence harmony. Guess what the Lord says to Zechariah here is telling us something that will one day happen. The branch to come will be crowned both, priest and king. Actually, priest and king and temple builder. He hasn't given the boot to Zerubbabel already. And this Joshua is not the branch. The branch is yet to come. And that's why the crown is removed from Joshua and placed as a memorial in the temple to remember what the Lord has indeed promised will one day come true. And the branch who will come will not only be a builder of this new temple, but a king and also a priest. Yes, he will be all of them. How great this servant will be. And one only needs to read these verses more closely to realise that there is actually no contradiction here, just a promise of something much, much better to come. No wonder the one to come will be clothed with, we're told, majesty. Verse 13 makes me think of that song, (laughs) meekness and majesty. Yes, I love seeming contradictions as they are not a contradiction and they Put me in my place. Make me realise I'm so small compared to how majestic God is. Friends, may when we read the Holy Scriptures this week, not only encounter seeming contradictions, but also encounter how small we are compared to how great God is. There's another song. The third thing I love is this. And I love, the ama- uh, I love the amazing promises in the Holy Scriptures. Friends, there are so many amazing promises in the Holy Scriptures, so many. I wonder how many you've come across. And there is one alluded to here, but I'll shortly come back to it. My top three promises, because I've now turned to Christ in faith, that too makes me think of the song, by faith. But yes, my top three promises are, One, he promises to forgive me. Two, he promises me eternal life. And three, he promises me the gift of the Holy Spirit. But this goes on and on and on. What about the promise of a new heaven and a new earth? I look forward to seeing that one. What about the promise one day of no more tears? How good will that be? What about the promise one day of no more pain? How great will that be? And what about the promise one day of no more death? Yes, I love the amazing promises in the Holy Scriptures for those who turn to God in repentance and turn to Christ in faith and therefore are now one of his very own people. 
So I have a question for us all. Are you one of his people? If so, all of these promises and more are yours too. If you're not yet one of God's people, maybe you've been dragged along here today. Maybe you've always come here but are not there yet. Maybe you are listening to this on Spotify. That's a hint to make sure it gets recorded. (laughs) Maybe you're listening to this on Spotify and not yet a follower of Jesus. If that's the case, there is a promise for you too, found in 2 Peter 3. It's the amazing promise that God is patient and therefore waiting for you to turn back to him in repentance and to turn to his son in faith. My word for you, if that is the case, is don't test his patience for too long. And talking about the promise, amazing promise of God's patience, as you probably know, God was patient with me for 30 years. And I, perhaps like all of us, are now fulfilling what the Lord says in verse 15 in chapter 6. Yes, I told you we would come back <laughs> to the amazing promise mentioned in this passage. In verse 15, those who are far away will come and help to build the temple of the Lord. Yes, God amazingly spoke to Abraham in the beginning of the Bible, about 1,500 years prior to this, about his blessing one day coming to all nations, those who are far away, and it now has in Christ. It might be hard to get ahead around it all, but that's what our Lord has now done. And so much of the Holy Scriptures in the Old Testament are not just about the Lord's character, but also about what flows on from his character. Therefore, what he will one day do, and he did on the cross, and he has through his son. On the cross, he not only appeased his wrath, put his spirit to rest, verse 8. That is his anger toward our sins, but but this punishment, the punishment his son received, yet he was without sin, can now bring us peace, peace with God. And in doing so, Jesus now offers salvation to all nations, even those who are far away, such as in Australia. And the very moment one turns to Christ, one, you could say, forms part of his temple. Yes, his body is the new temple. And it's built through people turning back to him. In the New Testament, followers of Jesus are therefore called living stones, 1 Peter 2.5. And he, Jesus, even though he was rejected, is the chosen and precious cornerstone. We sung about that last week, Psalm 118 verse 22. In other words, he is the living stone, 1 Peter 2.4. That's why we can confidently say today that all of God's promises, yes, all of them now find there, yes, there are men in Jesus, 2 Corinthians one twenty. And therefore people coming to Jesus like us 
fulfill the amazing promise of verse 15. How good is that? Yes, I love the specific details given to us in the Holy Scriptures. Yes, I I love the seeming contradictions given to us in the Holy Scriptures. And yes, I love the amazing promises given to God's people in the Holy Scriptures. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) But every sermon needs a but, don't they? (laughs) Yes, but. Did you notice the last bit of verse 15? I guess some of us did. It says, this will happen if you diligently obey the Lord your God. This statement sort of deflates how grandiose uh, everything else has been so far, doesn't it? Like, is all of this simply dependent now on the obedience, actually the diligent obedience of people? If that's the case, I say, good luck. (laughs) Well, thankfully, in representing us, yes, God knows he cannot rely on us in getting it right. Jesus, the ultimate branch, did diligently obey the Lord his God. Imagine if he didn't diligently obey The Lord is God. Thankfully, as I've just said, not only does Jesus diligently obey his Father, even to death and death on a cross, but also human failure never, in the end, cancels out any of God's promises as they find their yes in Jesus. All that human failure does is that it disqualifies the ongoing disobedient Hence why I said don't test his patience for too long. All that it does is disqualifies the ongoing disobedient from ever enjoying them. And instead, the ongoing disobedient will one day be overthrown by God's wrath. 1 Thessalonians 1.10. Right throughout the Holy Scriptures, we have this interface, I think that's the right word, <laughs> between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. And we cannot manoeuvre ourselves off this interface by denying either of them. Yes, divine sovereignty and human responsibility. What God says ultimately, ultimately goes, even if that means sending his son. But he also wants us to diligently obey him now. He's always wanted that. And that is the interface. One cannot cannot separate it from God's sovereignty. So for you and uh, for me, do we now diligently obey our Lord? Because that is what he now expects of us. As a uh, previous Archbishop of Sydney said to me once, it's not Glenn Davies, (laughs) This interface, Trevor, is like a high jump. Now, that makes sense, doesn't it? (laughs) It did to me. No, it didn't to me. (laughs) A high jump. That is, the bar keeps getting raised once you get over it. 
It might start here as a follower of Jesus, but he, our Lord, keeps raising it. And once we get to it, so that we keep growing, therefore, in godliness, in holiness and in obedience. It's no wonder then that Jesus can say what he says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. He says things like, man, it's a... Awful things at at the time, aren't they, Howard? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Yes, what matters in the end is that we do, in step with his spirit, obey him, do his will, not just acknowledge him and see the vision. It's about doing what he says not just seeing, as I said, a vision. The amazing thing is, and it should cause us to examine ourselves, that one can prophesy, we're told, in the name of Jesus or drive out evil spirits in the name of Jesus or perform healings and miracles in the name of Jesus, yet one day be greeted by Jesus, not with a hug, (laughs) he's always allowed to do that, but with the words, Away from me, I never knew you, you evildoer. Wow. 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 So important it is to now diligently obey our Lord, not just call him Lord. May all of God's people here at NHA, trusting in the Holy Spirit's power, Ultimately, grow in obedience, even if we sometimes knock that bar down. Amen. Thank you all. Thanks, Dan.